0: This is 101.9 Chai FM.
1: This is People of the Book on 101.9 Chai FM, and we have a full show today. We're starting off with uh, uh, an old friend of Chai FM who's back in the studio here, People of the Book, because last year I interviewed the author for his book that came out last year, and this year we have Zapiro back in the studio Because it's that time of year. Another collection of Zapiro cartoons have been put together, bound, and published by Jakarta Publishers.
2: There's an official launch uh, that's going to be later this afternoon. Uh, Actually, tomorrow – sorry, uh, Sunday. The official launch is on Sunday at the Bioscope. At uh, I think that it says five. Is it five? P. Five, p. To, yes. five to eight o'clock. Five to eight.
1: Yeah. In the evening. So that's at the Bioscope, the official launch for Zapiro's new collection of cartoons, "Let the Sun Shine In," and we have a pre-launch interview here <laughs> on High FM. With Zapiro. welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here. I want to start off the interview to look at how you became part of the story this year. Uh, not just your cartoons, but during the past year, your contact with the Sunday Times was terminated. You were quoted as you were quoted as saying this was a bit of a shock. Are you able to discuss why South Africa's widest circulation newspaper dropped the country's premier politi- political cartoonists from their pages?
2: I can I can speak a bit about it and I can speculate a little bit. I can't give you the definitive story because uh, you know as you as as people are very well aware there are going to be different sides to it. I have a side to it which I'm not even sure about the I, I did not realise that the sort of contractual uh, issues that I, that seem to be cropping up with, this, with the with the Sunday Times under their new management. I mean, they've, it's relatively new management. They they're now it's the sort of owner of the places of Tiso Blackstar is uh, uh, Stephen um, uh, Andrew Bonhamer, and um, I mean he seems to be trying to um, restructure. Uh, and and in the eyes of many people in the industry, often when you get a, an owner who comes in and tries to restructure, there are aspects of the media that the, that person just sort of may not kind of connect with in the same way that people have in the past. So, and he may think he's doing something good, and there are many other people who have a very different opinion. So, I basically contested some of the the, the contractual uh, issues, and I sort of stood up for my rights as a cartoonist and. Terms of copyright and all sorts of things, but it was a little bit more than that. So um, I think it's partly that, but I think also there were issues. You know, the Sunday Times has been in the news uh, recently around some of the stories in three major areas of contention, where that where you can use the word captured, or you could use the word led astray. One isn't always sure which which it is, but some of the journalists and one at least one editor uh um and that's not Ray Hartley, I mean even though his name has been drawn into it um, but it's Felicia Opelt uh that was the editor at the at the time of the real uh, worst of the of what happened and and some of the, the the journalists i mean their names are well known, but the point is that that there were three major areas. There's the, the, the Cato Manor uh, supposed death squad stuff, which turned out to be not true. And then there's the, there's the renditions stuff, which really almost destroyed the careers of people like Anwar Dramat, good committed uh, people involved in, in law, law enforcement in, in the various agencies. And they've sort of gone for, they've gone for people like uh, Robert McBride. But then in particular, and this is really important right now, it's the what they've what uh, the stories that we report in the Sunday Times on the supposed rogue unit at SARS. It's an, it's a nonsense um, term to describe to what Private Gordan and others there, uh, Ivan Pillay and the the people who really really try to get SARS into becoming one of the best run uh, uh, revenue collection services in the world uh, and. And there was a deliberate attempt by Jacob Zuma and Tom Moyane to screw that up and to, you know, come basically work for the Gupta's. Uh, Pravin Gordon has been somehow, other the Sunday Times, for some reason, some of the journalists got it into their heads, or and were sort of were, were targeted by security agents and that to report the stuff in the in the weirdest way, as if that that rogue unit thing was true. So now, and we're seeing actually Pravin Gordhan's uh, submission that could leaked to the Zondo Commission. And, um, and it's going to be dynamite. And, uh, of course, there the, are the weird other tangential things where the EFF now, for reasons known only to them and speculated on by others, perhaps Juju's own finances, perhaps the VBS um, uh, saga in which the EFF have been seriously implicated, uh, for some reason they are batting for Tom Moyani and, uh, and against Pravin Gordhan. So this stuff is really hectic. Now, I, said, I contested some of those stories and I never did anything in support of any of those stories while I was at the Sunday Times in one particular instance where I tell the story I've got two books out I've got this this the one that's actually being launched um, which is let the sunshine in my annual but I've also put out a special book called WTF and that is what how on earth did it happen and the F becomes the shower of Zuma and it's a kind of a cautionary tale, and I tell the story in that book of, of coming, of butting heads with people at the, right at the top of the Sunday Times establishment and about that story. about and uh, So, sorry, it's an incredibly long answer, but there's, there's very long and complicated issues. And, uh, yeah, so I started to have problems with, 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 you know, saying, look, I'm not prepared to back down. I'm going to tell it as I think it should be told.
1: You're hearing it straight from the mouth from Zapiro. Uh, He's very eloquent. In his cartoons, he shoots with blazing cannons. (laughs) Nuclear bombs from the hip. We'll be back with more questions straight after this ad break.
0: A book can take you a million places. And every Friday, High FM would like to know, where would you like to go today? I love it. Book Reviews, Author Interviews, A Book Lover's Utopia, every Friday morning. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life.
1: This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. We've got Zapiro in the studio. And as Zapiro mentioned, there are two books which have been released this year. The immediate release, which is going to be the launch party on Sunday night, is Let the Sunshine In, it's a collection of cartoons from this year, from the Daily Maverick and the Sunday Times, when you were still at the Sunday Times. The other book, which came out earlier in the year, WTF, Capturing Zuma, a Cartoonist's Tale, by Zepero. Both books are available now. They're both published by Jakana. Now, we just want to focus a little bit on WTF, mm. because in this book, the cartoonist becomes part of the story. This becomes you holding a mirror up to your face, and you putting yourself into the cartoons. I'd like you to talk about... Let's say two cartoons, which yeah. really show okay.
2: the your your role in uh, national politics. Well, yeah, the the book itself is is much more story based. It's the the format that we've done our specials in. I've done Democracy, I've done Vuvuzela Nation. These are ones where I get a chance to do a thicker book with sometimes three cartoons on one page, sometimes one. Lots of text, lots of stories. It's really this one in particular really gets to those stories. I will. Right at the beginning of the book, my, my, my co-conspirator and uh, my, my co-writer, Mike Wills, and I, to, I do all the the specials and things with him, and I now even work on the annuals with him. He's a he's a very good writer. He's got a political insight. So I tell him the stories, and then we, we work out how they come out in the book. There's a story at the beginning of the book about something that really threw me. Um, about eight years after I did a, a particular cartoon, that, which, in, in other words, it was just before Polokwane, before the conference, the ANC conference at Polokwane, where it was clear that Zuma was ahead of the pack, and Becky didn't appear to realise it. And I did a, a, a cartoon called "Front Runners," where Zuma is running like hell towards Polokwane. You know, it's sort of a running cartoon, and all the others are left in the dust. But the one who's coming closest to him is not one of the other contenders; it's the NPA. And it's Mokotetiam's share trying to pin the charges, the corruption charges on him because we didn't know whether or not he'd be charged before Polakwani for those corruption charges which had stemmed from 1999 and the arms deal and, and you know the first sort of corruption where we knew Zuma was corrupt from around 2002. It's already like at that stage five years into the public knowledge of the fact that he was corrupt and he was trying to become ANC president. So a few, eight years or so after I did that drawing, I'm told by my friend, who's now also a colleague, Marianne Tam at the Daily Maverick. She says, there's a story now that, that Mokotetiem She, who's the person who eventually dropped the charges against Zuma when he was acting head of the NPA in 2009, told Billy Downer, the prosecutor who was trying to prosecute the, those, uh, Zuma for those those charges, he told him that the reason... That dropped the, the the charges. He didn't want to charge Zuma before Polokwane, was that he saw that cartoon and he felt so embarrassed at being seen in the cartoon to be hounding Zuma that he decided no, he's he's not going to do it. Now and I what I, what I always say is I don't know how much truth there is in you know you know in that in that version of events. The the thing is that he told. Billy done, and that's what, he was, that's what he was using so I'm sort of becoming the scapegoat and he's sort of blame me for Zuma uh, it's weird how these things happen so I did a cartoon about that where I said well, well please don't eventually blame me for Zuma but you know, in a weird way, you can. Uh, it, it's strange intersection of reality with, with the cartoons. Yeah, the, yeah, that's what, what happens.
1: In many forms of media, you just put it
2: out there and you have no idea how it's going to fall. That's right. And you can't, in a way, be held responsible for the fact that sometimes people almost take things literally. I mean, well, uh, there was another cartoon that's not in, in that book, but where a, a – um, a, 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 some, um, the investigating I know, the prosecutor, also added something to the charge sheet that he'd simply seen in one of my cartoons. And I had to write an affidavit to the court. It was about Pagad and like that they planned to blow up parliament because I, I made a joke about uh, we will be laying a charge. They wanted to lay a charge against Nelson Mandela for saying that Pagad was conducting a murderous campaign. And and, and uh, they said, we'll be laying a charge against him. And then I show them laying a like an explosive charge in parliament. And so it got added to the chart sheet. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable stuff happens.
1: Then there's another cartoon that uh, you just pointed out to me during the ad break uh, with Provin Gordon fighting a Star Wars lightsaber fight against Tom Mugliani, And he is from the dark side. Yes. This, uh, this, the, the, this cartoon story? Well,
2: uh, SARS Wars, as, you said, as, it, as it happens, that's what the Daily Maverick worlds were calling the the fight between the, the, you know the Star Wars fight. Uh, between is the real good and evil fight between Pravin Gordhan, you know, sort of Jedi Knight with a lightsaber. Tom Moyani is, uh, as you say, Dark Forces, and there is a sort of Darth Zuma in, behind him. So you can clearly see which is the good and which is the bad. And but Tom Moyani's lightsaber is fizzling and crackling and bending and sort of getting and kind of losing power. And what it is is the KPMG report, which, as we knew, as we were starting to find out, was was, was faulty and was wrong and has since been shown to be, and KPMG is very embarrassed about it. Tomuiani, it's been clearly shown in the Nugent Commission. He was out there specifically at Zuma's behest to gut SARS, to actually make it corrupt, to make it stop uh, following up on on uh, looking at the tax evasion of uh, everyone from Zuma down, uh, you know, and, and st- it, they, they really messed up. And so I sent – well, the thing about this cartoon is I sent the rough version of the cartoon through to – I was still at the Sunday Times and The Times. And I sent it through to The Times newspaper in rough form. And they looked at it and they said, oh, fantastic, love it. And I said, wait a minute. I mean, have you really looked at it? Because what it's saying is the exact opposite of what the whole newspaper group is saying. All the stuff that's been coming out from from the star reporters on The Sunday Times – and he said, uh, hang on a second, took it to the Sunday Times, came back to me half an hour later, and they said, uh, yeah, we showed it to them. Um, can you take the KPMG report out? I said, no way. How could I take out the central aspect of what sparked that cartoon? And they said, yeah, but, you know, yeah, you, as you say, it's exactly what, what we, it's the opposite of what we, we are saying. So I said, well, you know and I know that it's going to be found out that what you're saying in the group is wrong and what is being said elsewhere is right. And I'm not going to put that cartoon in in an, in the wrong way. It either it goes in as is or doesn't go in, and I'll give it to someone else. And we had a sort of a standoff for a while. Eventually, the, I said, look, I've, you know, I've got a deadline. As you know, I've got to get it done. And he said, okay, do it. So we put it in the times, and I didn't seem to get any comeback but i think that was noted at in at a high level that i was kind of uh, but too too feisty for them and as i said it was a lot of con- contractual things that that also so it's not just that 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 sort of cartoon but but clearly that 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 fight w- was was happening across the board at uh, in 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 in, in the, that in that newspaper group
1: and that fights not only in the Times and the Sunday Times. Just two days ago, uh, CNN reporter Jim Acosta was kicked out. Was, he had his journalist
2: creden- credentials uh, torn up by the by the White House. I watched that. I watched <laughs> that uh, that press conference, the so called press conference. I mean, Trump is is beyond words, despicable. Yeah, and also
1: earlier in this year, you. you there was a story in America, and you put it in one of your cartoons uh, in your in your new album of 2018. It's dated June the, 12th, the 20th, with Rob Rogers, the political yes. cartoonist for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, yes. who was fired for being too critical of Trump. And that cartoon makes the point that at this moment in time, sometimes freedom of the press is actually under threat. Here in you know possibly f- with commercial interests in the Sunday Times, and definitely from the White House mm. down in the, in the United States of America, the land of the free
2: is actually not that free anymore. Exactly. Well, a- as it happens, I mean, I will I will say that it's not even under only under Trump, uh, it's even even under even during the times of of Obama, who I admire hugely for in many ways, and there were other things about Obama that weren't. Perfect, but but uh, you know, Obama's somebody you can uh, I can certainly admire well, but they're, they're, it's been quite hard for some of the media to be as kind of feisty and outspoken as some of the media in South Africa in the in during the democratic era. So despite the fact that I've had. Issues with some people within media. I've had obviously been sued by Jacob Zuma during this period. I've had I've had death threats. I've had all sorts of things, and there've been attempts to shut down aspects of the media. At the same time, I've had an incredibly free run as a cartoonist and being able to do cartoons as as a as a as a, as a journalist, as a white journalist, as a uh, as as somebody just wanting to have an, an opinion and give, being given that platform. Being able to Put things out there that many other democracies wouldn't wouldn't tolerate. So you know, it's a mixed bag, you know. And that stuff that that cartoon that I did about uh, the about Rogers, the cartoonist who got fired, I asked the question: Who should be fired? The and then I say I can't remember the misogynist, uh, racist, um, hate mongering. That a president who sort of takes children from their their parents. Or the cartoonist who draws what he sees, he or she sees, you know. And the, the answer is a, it's a rhetorical thing. Clearly, Trump is a useless, awful, worse than useless, damaging, destructive, despicable, hate-mongering president, uh, you know, if you can call him that. And, um, you know, Rob Rogers is a very good cartoonist. Yeah.
1: and, and it's, 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 uh, it's, it's a very important role that society has. Within the media to hold this self-critical mirror up yeah. to every single person who's taken part in public life, and I've 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 been following your cartoons on your website during the course of the year. So now when I when I did get the 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 new book, let the sunshine in, it's almost like doing revision on certain. <laughs> I wouldn't call them highlights of the year because these are lowlights of yeah. the year, but <laughs> you, you, being reminded about them, yeah. um, and in the course of the year. It's just so important how we have to hold people in public positions up to accountability. And you do that across the board. Yeah. Uh, Melusi M- M- Gigaba comes in for criticism and so does uh, Maimani and the DA. Yes. There is and, and,
2: absolutely and, uh, no safe uh, area. I, I, yeah, that's, I, I try and do that. I mean, and for example, with the DA, um, I mean, I know, I know Patricia DeLille quite well. Um, and I think that she – I don't like the way she's behaved even if I don't like the agenda of some of the people in the DA who try to get her out. So there's, there's – uh, I, I actually criticize both the people who try to get her out and Patricia DeLille herself. So, you know, I, and then with, with, the, with the ANC as well. I mean I, I have – there are people in the ANC who I'm rooting for because I'm, I'm wanting to believe that the sort of central – core values that the ANC used to have are still held by some people. I mean, there are people like Pravin Gordon, of course. and But Sir so Ramaphosa, who I think kind of le- went a little bit AWOL for a few years, uh, even during the time that he came back into politics and he was deputy president under Zuma, I feel he could have done more. Uh, maybe that's me being naive. But um, I want to... Think and I'm hoping that he does still have those democratic values at heart. He does. He seems to be working very hard to try and get things back on track. He's still saddled with appalling people in the ANC, including his own deputy president, who's a criminal, um, Didi Mabuza. And you've got Ace Magashule, another criminal, who's the who's the ANC secretary general. Um, okay, come and sue me, guys. I'm, 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 I'd like to try those those two. Um, but yeah, you know, and then you've got the very very good people in in the ANC and 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 still with the kind of struggle values who are there and there's this there's a really sort of good versus evil battle going on there and that's essentially the cover of this new book is showing that that difficulty where Cyril has, as as I I've taken the inspiration of Rama Panther you know the Black Panther's been the big movie of the year and hugely inspirational to whole of Africa and and the whole African diaspora and African Americans and South Africa so you've got that and I've got this sort of kind of funny hero version of Sur as Rama Panther, but he's got to cut away this forest of thorny stuff in which that giant shower is enmeshed still. And that's the fight that we're seeing going towards twenty nineteen. Um we're hoping that, that you know it can be cut away and it's a tough job, he's just got a little hacksaw. So yeah. you
1: you've touched on the movie Black Panther. Your references in your cartoons are so up to date. You encourage us to engage with pop culture when we simultaneously engage with the burning issues of the day. You're not, you're not making reference to classic paintings you know, or things like that. You are immediate. There's a remake of Mary Poppins, then you've got the Mary Poppins song in one of your cartoons. You, you, very, very immediate. Now, um, you're getting a lot of inspiration from what's happening in the world of entertainment and culture around us. A few weeks ago, I interviewed Peter Dirk Ace because he's just released mem- uh, a, a volume of memoirs. And yeah. I asked Peter Dirk Ace, who do
2: you get inspiration from? And his answer was Zapiro. Wow, <laughs> well, I mean that's high praise indeed. And let me let me say that that is mutual. Peter Dirk has been around for a lot longer than I have, and I was—he's one of the people who really inspired me um, when I was starting out, and long since, uh, you know, uh, he's been he's been fantastic. I'm, I'm, that's that's great to to hear that. Yeah.
1: And then when I was reading a bit of your biography, you studied in New York, and uh, uh, one of your teachers was Art Spiegelman. Yeah. You've had a lot of sources, a lot yes. of inspiration, and but. You open to everything, every moment of of the day. You're just t- taking it in. It.
2: I I think that that is part of being a satirist and being a commentator and being a cartoonist is is to to try and be. There's there's kind of there's sort of a dual thing happening. On the one hand, you've got to be passionate about the politics and about what's going on around you. I mean, that's the sort of that's the real. Meet the the grist of the thing, but as well as that, what you're alluding to the kind of pop culture, and then and then also the kind of the craft, like understanding how the stuff works. Uh, having studied with Art Spiegelman and Will Eisner and Harvey Kurtzman, interestingly, three of the great great Jewish uh, masters of of. Cartooning and comics, uh, and there are so many, and there's so many others involved in the in the um, uh, it, not in the cartooning and comics, but even in, just in the humour understand that humour and satire in the United States and beyond. Um, there's there's a tremendous tradition there. Well, so I was lucky enough to tap into that. I got this chance to study in New York and learn from these great masters about telling cartooning, in, uh, telling telling stories in 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 comic strip style or in sequential. Uh, Will Eisner's Course was called uh, comics and sequential art. His idea that you're telling a story in sequence and using the using the comic technique. Will Eisner and Harvey and um, and Art Spiegelman are sort of the co-progenitors of the graphic novel and the whole idea of telling graphic stories, both journalistic and um, and and also kind of novels uh, in 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 comic strip form. And that's sort of Gone around the world, and, and these are two of the great masters in very different ways who I was able to kind of understand things from, learn from, and hopefully do a bit more of their kind of work later. Uh,
1: do political cartoonists have conferences or go away together and you
2: just hang out and discuss ideas? They do, unfortunately, not as much in South Africa as in other places. So many of the get-togethers and gatherings and whatever that I've been lucky enough to be invited to have been in other parts of the world. As it happens, this, this weekend, I mean, I'm, I'm turning 60, and there's another cartoonist turning 60, Al- Alistair Findlay, um, right here in, in Joburg. But um, I'm turning 60, so we're, we're kind of getting together this weekend now that I'm up here with some of the Joburg cartoonists uh, and families. And we're going to do a little bit of a mini workshop as well so we we, we do it occasionally We've had one southern African get together in Botswana, but that was about ooh, it was i think in two thousand and uh, it was fantastic. Seven countries represented from southern Africa but i 've been invited to things where I've gone to get togethers in France and in Cameroon and in Australia and uh in the United States and um I I've, I've attended other events as a cartoonist in Tunisia and in in you know, you're, you're Botswana and France and Netherlands and Britain and whatever uh Taiwan uh yeah it, it's it happens a lot and
1: you can swap notes, who's been sued the most and which yeah. <laughs> which government is the most prosecuting of uh, of their political cartoonists.
2: Yeah, I have, a, I have a couple of records in that
1: department, I think. <laughs> this is People of the Book on 101.9 FM. We're just finishing our conversation with Zapiro. Two books that we're looking at right now is WTF Capturing Zuma, Cartoonist's Tale – and that is the full Zuma story, but it's not just cartoons. There's a lot of text on the page written together with Mark Mills. Mills, Mark yeah, Mark, Wills. Mark Mills, and it tells w- the Mark Mills, yes. sorry, Mark sorry. Wills, Mark Wills, <laughs> yeah. and it tells the story behind the cartoons, and the the cartoonist becomes a very fixed part of those stories. And the second book, which is being launched over this weekend, is the 2018 annual of uh, Zapiro's current cartoons that have been published since towards the end of last year until now and that is Let the Sun In. Let's let, collect, the, let the Sun this, shine. Sorry, Let, let the, the Sun Shine In. As in the song. Yeah, yeah. Let, let the, the Sun Shine. <laughs> sorry, yeah. Let the sunshine <laughs> In. Both are published by Jakana. Both are available. I think we're going to take an ad break as soon as I just finish this one last one last question. Uh, what do you want the public to do? You've got 30 seconds, you know, famous, in, 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 famous in, in, in radio, you've got 30 seconds to answer a question which is like, what's the meaning of Life Universe and everything? You can, take, you can take a bit more of your time. <laughs> what do you want the public to do once they've read a cartoon, they've been inflamed at the injustice that you've commented on and now they're
2: all riled up? What do you want you, the public you to know, do? It, if if the riling up process has happened, that that's the, that's the main thing. If if people if it's stimulating debate, it's sometimes joining debate, sometimes starting debates. Uh, but but as long as, as long as I'm helping people to see things in new ways, to to, to think things through, uh, that's the main thing. Whether they people choose to become activists on on these issues, or or simply it, it kind of helps to propel things in a slightly different direction. I mean, if that happens, the cause and effect thing of an individual cartoon is very difficult to assess. But if you're becoming part of that continuum of really critical thinking in the public domain, I think that's the main thing. We're
1: finishing off with Zapiro's what we're supposed to do once the cartoon has rung a bell inside of our souls. And then you can meet Zapiro over this weekend – Tomorrow there'll be book signings at, from ten to eleven at exclusive books Clearwater Mall. Then uh, the True Words Court of the Mall of Africa from twelve to two in the afternoon, and an exclusive mall exclusive books at the Crystal Mall from three to four. Then on Sunday Zepira will be in conversation from ten to twelve. Uh, it's Life in a Garden in Darrenwood, and the official launch is at the Bioscope. At seven at five o'clock on five o'clock yeah five, on, on 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 Sunday, so. and then the captainnians will get all their book launches next week. Zapira is really run, run, <laughs> running around the country. Do you have time to actually submit cartoons while you're on tour?
2: Uh, I often do. Uh, this time I don't think I'm doing that, although, uh, you know, my, my, my imagination and kind of appetite is being whetted all the time by stuff that I'm hearing. Uh, you know, sometimes I think, oh, I've got to get a cartoon in. So I might, I might start doing one. So
1: the, we've, we've finished our conversation with Zapiro. Uh, look out for the two books, WTF and then Let the Sunshine In. Uh, and I think we're going to try a book an interview for next year because <laughs> we know that the only constant is absolute turmoil in South African politics. And we know that Trump's going to give us a lot of punchy cartoons against, you know, he can't help himself. Yeah. Uh, so this time next year, we'll be discussing the state of the world from the political cartoonist perspective.
2: Thanks, Stephen. Thank great to be here.
1: It's great to have you online. On, I mean, in line of love in the studio. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. This is 101.9
0: High FM. A book can take you a million places. And every Friday, High FM would like to know, where would you like to go today? I love it when you read to me. Book reviews, author interviews, a book lover's utopia every Friday morning. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life.
1: This is people of the book on one hundred one point nine High FM. Fantastic to have Zapiro in and see the life of political cartoonist behind the scenes. You know, behind those one cartoon uh, strips to see what goes into making them. As I said, those two books are available. They are in shops, and uh, the second book, Let the Sunshine In, is being launched this weekend. For the rest of the show, I just want to talk about a number of books that I have read and have found absolutely wonderful reads. The first one is a book called Tombland, and it's by C.J. Sansom. And it is the seventh book in a historical uh, crime series. The entire series revolves around a sergeant of the law in the London in the London courts and his name is Matthew Shardlake. And they set in Tudor, England. So we're going back to the fifth the fifteen hundreds. And uh, the first six books all happened within the reign of Henry VIII. And the seventh book happens after Henry VIII's passing. England is in a great state of turmoil. The Reformation, the the English Reformation, is still playing its way itself out. The the Anglican Church, the break from Henry VIII with Rome and the Pope in Rome. Uh, But now we dealing with the reign of Edward, the very sickly son of King Henry VIII and Jane Seymour. And at the same time, Henry VIII's two daughters, Elizabeth, the Lady Elizabeth and the Lady Mary, are running, not quite courts, but rival centers of possible power. And this is the setting for for the book. And within this England... There is uh, a lot of peasant unhappiness with the enclosures of common areas by the sheep, the sheep, the sheep farmers who want to use as much of the land to raise sheep so they can make wool. England is a main supplier of wool to the entire European textile industry. A lot of peasants are being cut out of land that is actually held in common for all the people. So there's a lot of tension in the countryside. At the same time, there is also within the cities a lot of religious tension between the Catholics and the Anglicans. All different religious tensions. Um, and within this setting... A distant member of the Lady Elizabeth, who would eventually become Queen Elizabeth I, a distant member of her mother's family is murdered. Uh, she has a distant relative, John Boylan, uh, and his wife is found murdered, and her murdered body is displayed in a terrible, terrible way in the countryside in the, the the county of Norfolk, very close to the city of Norwich. And the Lady Elizabeth summons Matthew Shardlake to her palace and she asks him to go and investigate what happened so that her relative, John Boland, will be given a fair trial, as fair trial as possible. And Matthew Shardlake leaves London and he goes to Norwich and he starts investigating and then during all this time, while he's in Norwich, there is a huge rebellion in Norfolk centered on the town of Norwich, led by people who want to fight for the rights of the peasants in the countryside and the average people in the city against what is basically a self-enriching elite it's the nobility of England at that time. And Matthew Shardlake gets caught up in this insurrection. And a, a government's army is sent in to go and put the, this, this, this uprising down, and they defeated. Then another army is sent in. And Matthew Shardlake is caught up in this huge turmoil in just post Henry VIII, England. Now, the unbelievable thing about um, C.J. Sansom's books is the amount of research that goes into his novels. At the end of each book, there is an essay about the historical truth that underpinned the narrative. And at the end of Tombland, there is about a 60-page, it's a mini-book, going through all the research and the real people that he's actually embedded into the novel. So, it's Tombland by S- uh, C.J. Sansom. It is the seventh book in the Matthew Shardlake series. It is historical crime fiction set into the England. It is unbelievably well informed. It is an a, absolute immersion in life in England in the time. Now. The scary thing about the book is that it is 850 pages. <laughs> now, that normally would actually act as an incentive for people not to read the book. But when it comes to CJ Sansom, it's actually more of a reason to read the book. Uh, when the book was released in England just two weeks ago, it sold 45,000 copies in its first week. So there is an absolute appetite in England, in Britain, for this historical fiction that C.J. Sampson is such a master of writing. The book will most probably sell much fewer copies in South Africa, but it deserves a wider readership. The entire backlist does as well. You know when you find a book that you love and you you, you, you you're so sad that you turn the last page and then you discover that it's actually quite a late book in a series and there's many more that come before. So all of a sudden, You've got a whole list of books that you're looking forward to read. I think Tombland should be that type of experience for all our listeners out there. That You can discover C.J. Sansom with this book and then you can actually go back and you can read the backlist. You can start at the beginning and work your way through Matthew Shardlake and his interactions with the Tudor court and Henry VIII all the way through all the books, and it's something that you can really get just get stuck into. So that's the book Tomblands, C.J. Sansom. It's published by Mantle. It's a, it should be available in the shops either right now or the next week. And the 850 pages that I shared with Matthew Shardlake in this book were just too short. When the time to turn the last page came, it was just too Quick an ending to the book. It's it's it is a it's a tome of a book. It's called Tombland, so that pun actually makes a lot of sense in this in this context. But it actually is a book that's very 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 worth reading. And discover Matthew Shardlake. Discover Tombland by C.J. Sansom. Discover the backlist, and then you can go and you can get through all the previous books as well. The next book I want to talk about is I do like talking about and pushing israeli writers uh hebrew literature in english translation because we even if we did study hebrew in school and we might have got distinctions for hebrew reading a hebrew novel is a very different experience so there's a wonderful thing called translation and we can read english uh, we can read the english translated version of hebrew um of hebrew uh, of Hebrew novels. Now the book is called The Ruined House and it's by Ruby Namdar and it's been translated into English. In Hebrew it was called It was published in 2013 and it then won Israel's equivalent of the Man Booker Prize which is called the Sapir Prize It was very strange in 2013 that Ruby Namdar won this prize because he's an Israeli author, but he lives in New York and the book is set in New York. It was originally written in Hebrew but it was translated into English recently. But it was unheard of that an Israeli who's living outside of Israel should win the Sapir Prize. And well he won the award in twenty fourteen. Um, after he won the award, the rules of the Sapir Prize were changed to exclude Israeli authors living abroad. And so all of a sudden the Sapir Prize will now only be awarded to Israeli authors living in Israel. And what the Ruined House shows us is this actually is a narrowing and it's actually a cutting off the nose to spite the face of Hebrew literature because there can be great works of Hebrew literature that are written in Hebrew, but outside the borders of Israel. What's the story about? Well, it's about a man, Andrew Cohen, who basically represents what you could call the absolute apex of American Jewish life. A person who's so schooled in culture and literature. He's a professor of comparative cultures at New York University. He has a wonderful life in New York. He tends the, the widest variety of cult- the cultural offerings that the greatest city in the world can offer. He's called on to review art shows at galleries and to review books. He gets pieces published in the New Yorker and he and and Harper's mag- the, the magazines and. He's divorced from his wife because he actually comes across as quite a selfish man. He he, he wants his own space. He has a magnificently decorated, minimally decorated apartment on the Upper West Side of New York. Um, He's having uh, a romantic affair with a girl who was his student. But life is really going very, very well for Andrew Cohen, uh, the quintessential assimilated American Jew. But his life starts falling apart. He starts having Mm. visions and seeing things that no one else can see. And all his visions revolve around a Kohen Gadol, a high priest, in his full clothing. And this becomes, at the end of each chapter, focusing on Andrew Cohen, American Jew, assimilated American Jew, living in New York, beginning his breakdown at the end of every chapter in the seven parts of the books so at the end of every part we have a parallel narrative but going back 2,000 years to the life of the last Kohen Gadol the last high priest in the temple in Jerusalem. in Jerusalem but these pages are set up like the page of a Gomorrah with the central part surrounded by commentaries so the central story will tell us the story of a Kohen Gadol Preparing for Yom Kippur, for serving in the temple on Yom Kippur. And then what happened when the temple was destroyed. And around the page we have the verses that that central story is based on. Or the Mishnah that that central story is bringing in. Or the Gomorrah. And there's also a little commentary at the bottom. Some book about the reincarnation of souls. So we're following the two stories the whole way through the book. The the, the the breakdown of andrew cohen highly assimilated highly successful american jew in twenty in the early the, the, the early part of it 's actually the year two thousand because the book starts in august and ends twenty two thousand and ends just before september eleven in two thousand and one so it's that's the one story. And the other story is the last Kohen Gadol who served in the temple when it was being destroyed by the Romans. And these two stories intersect. But the writing, uh, I haven't read the original Hebrew, but the English translation is unbelievably beautiful. Just the descriptions of the New York State countryside when they go to holiday houses or the Jewish cemetery that he passes or the sense of Jewish life in America. The the the, the writing is beautiful, and uh, the story itself unfolds, and everything joins up. But you see how an Israeli writer, an Israeli academic, who's living in America, is writing originally in Hebrew, wants to present. Jewish American laugh, and that's basically what this, the the book is. This very, very, very uh, successful and highly decorated academic who knows all about Western culture and can compare different different cultures, and he knows every reference from literature to music to art to sculpture to cooking. Actually, has a very very basic knowledge of things Jewish on almost non-existent knowledge and the author Ruby Namdar is criticizing the state of the Jewish world uh, and the state of our Jewish education that we can be so perfectly versed in the culture of our host nations but so so poorly educated in our own culture and I think he, he, he felt that using two structures to tell the story one a normal novel structure and two a structure for the second story the story set in the times of the second temple where the the story structured around the structure of a page of Gomorrah actually bring two different cultures into the book on the page and force the reader to engage with both to admit that as Jewish people living in 21st century South Africa, America, England, even Israel. So I heard in an interview, says, even Israeli readers reading the original Hebrew found the layout of the page of Gomorrah very, very disconcerting and very different. They weren't familiar with it. He's showing us the two cultures in which we live. And he wants to bring them together. So that's the book, The Ruined House. It is beautifully, beautifully written. It did win the Sapir Prize in Israel, which is the highest literary prize given in Israel. And his winning that prize then caused the prize to, the the committee that runs the prize to close it off to Israelis living outside of the borders of Israel. A very, very powerful read. Um, absolutely, I was stunned by the beauty of the writing, uh, as I've mentioned again and again. So today has been a full show. We had Zapiro in discussing his two books, WTF, all about the cartoons and the story behind the cartoons uh, with text written by Mark Wills. Uh, and Zepira together. Then the second book, Zepira, let the Sunshine in, which is th- the last 12 months of political cartoons from both the Sunday Times and the Daily Maverick. And then we looked at two novels: one historical crime, Tombland by C. J. Sansom. S- that's the seventh book in the Matthew Shardlake series, it's set in Tudor England. It's a crime. It's a historical crime. Book, uh, fantastic, eight hundred fifty pages. You pay for one book and you get the, you basically get three books worth of reading. Uh, but when you turn the last page, you very sad that it's come to an end. And you know, is there another two year wait before the next C.J. Sansom book comes out? And this book, Tombland, sold forty five thousand copies in, a, in its first week of release in the UK. So, um, fantastic book to read. When you read it, you will then. You can read this first, and you can go back and read the full CJ Sansom backlist, all the previous six adventures that uh, Matthew Shardlake, Sergeant of Law at the Lincoln Inns Courts in London, gets involved in. And then the last book that we looked at was The Ruined House by Ruby Namdar, an Israeli author, was originally written in Hebrew, won the Sapir Prize, has then been translated into English. And it is a a great Israeli-written diaspora Jewish novel I think that's the best way to put it it's a great Israeli written diaspora Jewish novel which li- tries to thread together the different strands that make up the Jewish experience in this book in New York but uh, it does speak to Jews all around the world until next week continue keep reading and good Shabbos